Wonderful to be with you this morning. It's so exciting, isn't it, to be in the week of 412. It's just amazing what the Lord is doing. We had an incredible conference in Europe just in the summer. Amazing numbers to see a conference that I think that began as about 250 people now at 1,200 squeezing into the biggest venue on the Isle of Man. And just beautiful to see what the Lord is doing in the field and in the nations. And I'm really excited to be with you this morning. I love what's been coming through in the prophetic. We've heard about the exchange that God wants to do with us. And I just have a sense that the Lord really wants us to lift our expectation as we go into this week. Now, I wonder if you have ever heard anyone say, and I've been pondering this for some time now, that the average human being uses approximately only 10% of their brain during the average day. Have you heard that before? And I've been holding on to this for years and thinking, well, that's wonderful because it's such a comfort to me. It was a a comfort to me, for instance, when I drove my mum's brand new car into a pond and fully submerged it when I was 10 years old using a roller skate on my right foot to accelerate, but I hadn't worked out the brake. And I thought, well, that's probably a 10% brain usage moment. Uh, When I left my son hiding in a bush at church and arrived home to Karen saying, where is Connor? And I said, well, I, I thought you had him. She says, no, darling, you, you had him. And I said, well, let me, let me just return and gather my son. And there he was still hiding in the bush 40 minutes after church. And when I arrived, he's like, boo, hi, dad. And I go, oh, I didn't forget you, son. I knew I had three children all along. Or perhaps when I jumped into what I believed to be my wife's car, And I stretched across to kiss her, to hear a woman screaming that I have never seen in my life before as I realized I jumped into the wrong car. These are the moments when I have been holding on to the 10% brain use function. So ladies and gentlemen, you can imagine the horror as I began to research this statistic. Uh, And I've been wrestling it through, and so I decided to go to the world-renowned John Hopkins School of Medicine, and particularly to the works, I know it's the kind of reading that I do in my spare time, of world premier neurologist Barry Gordon. Have you heard of Barry? Very close friend of mine. Barry's a top neurologist at the uh, John Hopkins School of Medicine in the United States, and he says that it is in fact a myth that human beings use only 10% of their brain. In fact, this is what he says. At certain moments in anyone's life, such as when we are simply at rest and thinking, we may be using only 10% of our brain's functionality. I thought, well, it's not just when I'm at rest. It's generally all the time. And he goes on to say, it turns out, though, that we use virtually every part of the, the brain, at the most of the brain is active almost all of the time. Now, this is quite a depressing statistic for me because I've been holding on to that for so long, thinking that it's only 10% of me that has, in fact, been underperforming for the duration of my life. But to discover that it is, in fact, 100% of me that has been underperforming for all these years has been quite a shock. And it got me thinking... I am a limited man. Does anyone else feel like that? You feel like a limited 
man or a limited woman, then we, we hold on to these psychological myths that, that we make up and we kind of get stuck under this yoke of limitation. And we begin to, to speak in a certain way. We begin to believe things about ourselves that are, in fact, not true. For instance, I have three beautiful children. Three. Connor as well. Three beautiful children. I have two girls and one boy. That's correct, isn't it, Cass? My girl, Holly, turned 21 yesterday. I can't believe I have got such an old daughter. My younger daughter, Sky, is 11, and my son is 17, going on 46, and he is 18 in just a few days' time. And they are so very different. My daughters are incredible at languages. They are artistic. They draw beautiful pictures. But if you ask them a question like this, and I wish they were here to demonstrate, if I were to say, Holly, darling, if a car is traveling at 80 kilometers an hour and it travels for one hour, but one of the tires is slightly deflated, how far does it travel? She will say that nobody could know the answer to that question except Jesus himself. <laughs> and then I will begin to break down the maths. But if I were to speak to my son and ask him, Connor, look, we would really love you to read a chapter of your coloring in book this week. The poor lad will take on the behavior of a four-year-old being told that unless you eat your broccoli, you're not getting pudding. He's that kind of person. I mean, our children are so different and they have different limitations, but they have different skills and they have different abilities. And as we look around the kingdom of God, We see that we are all so very different. We are made to be different. We are made to carry different anointings of the Lord so that we will lean into one another, so that we will gather and join and become one people to represent Jesus on the earth. But so often, what I see is Christians who live under the lid of limitation. We start to believe that there are obstacles in our lives that can never be overcome, but we worship this beautiful, amazing, all-conquering God who says of us that we are not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors. And I believe that God wants to remove the imaginary lid from us this morning. And I was reading recently about a wonderful scientific experiment, and you may have seen it demonstrated on a Sony PlayStation advert if you are of such an age. And basically what they did is they fill a jar with a bunch of fleas. And then they put the lid on the jar for three days. And at the end of three days, the lid is removed. And what they've discovered is that the fleas have become so conditioned by the lid that they will never jump beyond the limit of the lid. They're conditioned to live. Even if the lid is not there, they will still only jump to the height of the lid. And I think, as followers of Jesus, that it's possible for us to live under the conditions of the imaginary lid. And I think the Lord wants to break it off today. In fact, Paul warns us in Romans 12 too, he says this from the message translation. Don't become so well-adjusted to your lid or to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. But instead, and we've heard this in the prophetic today, instead fix your attention on God and you will have the exchange. 
You will be changed from the inside out. You'll be like Peter receiving the positive exchange when he fixed his eyes on Jesus and he did the miraculous. He did what no human being should ever be able to do. He walked on water. Isn't that good? You seem so excited about that this morning. I mean, you're hard to impress. He was walking on water and you're like, dear average. We're Springbok fans. The sky is the limit. I mean, we are the World Cup winning nation. But if we look at the pattern of Jesus' life, it was so clear that he had no intention of pouring himself into the mold of culture. It's very clear that Jesus came to break off all the lids, all the limitations. He came to change us, and he came to show us that there was only one limit in his life. And the only limitation on Jesus was the limits that the Father put on him. Because he said, I will only do the things that I see the Father doing. And if he says not to, then I won't. And if he says to do, then I will. And I pray this morning that the Lord is going to help us to understand how we can release our supernatural, our Holy Spirit power and potential in Jesus. So here's the first thing I want to share. Obedience releases supernatural potential. It's so cool, isn't it, when the prophetic marries up with what we're going to be preaching. I love that. So well done to the guys who are hearing the Lord this morning. But there is nothing in your life that is going to kill the work of the Spirit or the power of God's Spirit in our lives more than disobedience. Disobedience is the great killer of God's movement in our lives. And I, I love what Jesus says in John five nineteen to 21. He says, truly, truly, and I think when Jesus says truly, truly, what do you think he means? It's, wow, God, some people over here are using 100% of their brains. And this must be the 10% section. So if Jesus says truly, truly, be quiet because I want to speak to my intelligent friends. If Jesus says truly, truly, what does he mean, 100%ers? Yes. Truly, truly. And if Jesus says truly, truly, 10%ers, he means? They even speak slightly more slowly, don't they? But they're getting there. They'll catch up. So the Lord says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. There's the limitation. Unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does. But he doesn't just do them. He does them in the same manner as the Father. He does it exactly the way the Father tells him to do it. And he says, whatever these things are, the Son does them in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so... The Son also gives life to those whom He wishes. I love it. Isn't it a beautiful picture that the Father is constantly revealing 
himself. He's constantly outworking his plan for mankind on the earth. And even dressed in flesh, Jesus was able to see the activities of the Father and to say, these are the things I must do. And this is the manner in which I must do these things. I am going to repeat on the earth what I see the Father doing in the heavenly realm. So clearly the Father is not just sitting on his throne all day. He's active. He's moving. He's planning. He's looking for people who will follow him in like manner. And I love John's statement because the Father does it all because of his great love for the Son. He shows him, Son, this is what I want to do. This is how I want you to do it. Show them who I am. And so Jesus was able to say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But that should be our lives. We should be so interlinked with him, so in sync with him, that when people look at us, they don't see the Springboks. They don't see Scotland. Well, they see mainly Scotland. But they see the Lord Jesus working out in our lives. You know, when, when Karen and I were a little bit younger, we bought a house that was in terrible condition because it's all we could afford. And I used to be a civil engineer once upon a time, so I know how to build things. And so we bought this house and thought we are going to renovate it, we're going to do it up, and then we'll sell it and we'll be so rich that we'll never have to work a day again in our lives. It didn't didn't work out very well. But one thing that I had to do was to refit the central heating. Now, I had never done any plumbing. I never fitted pipes. I'd never changed a boiler. But I knew a man who could. My dad can do anything except surf. But he can literally do anything. And he said, you and I'm going to help you. And so he began to show me how to plumb. And I would say, Dad, why don't we put a 90-degree joint in here? And he'd say, son, you'll get a better flow if you bend the pipe rather than put a joint in. Ooh, hello. So he taught me how to bend pipes with the pipe bender. That's why my chest is still so muscular now because of all the pipe bending. And he would show me exactly how to do it. And then I would plumb in every house I went to. And, you know, I would always do it exactly the way my dad showed me. Because that's how I was taught. But as a follower of Jesus, I don't want to do things my way. I want to do things the way that I see Jesus ministering on the earth. I want to see how the Father ministered through the Son so that I can do likewise. Because the Father wants to reflect His Son, Jesus, to you through me and to each other through you. He wants us to be people who carry and reflect the glory of who Jesus is and to reflect the love and the desires of the Father in our communities so that nations can be changed by people who look more and more and more like Him. And I think it's possible to be that. I think it's possible to become more like Jesus, but in order to become like him, we must behold him. And I think that one of the massive issues for us today is that we're so distracted. There are so many things that we are beholding before Jesus. There are so many social media platforms that we seem to behold in the morning before we see Jesus in his word. There are 
so many people who seem to corrupt our good character that we behold and look up to in the workplace, but they're destroying the sanctuary and the picture of Jesus on the earth. And we need to get back to our mandate, get back to our calling, which Paul outlines like this in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18. He says, whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away for the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Oh, come on. In my accent, it sounds better. Freedom. You will never take away our freedom. Even if it's 18.3, we're still free and we're still God's chosen nation. Come on. Oh, it feels good to be Scottish today. And he goes on to say, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Isn't that beautiful? That over the course of our lives, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. The veil represents the hardness of unbelief. We had that word this morning that one of the things that we wrestle with in this life is unbelief. And we say, Lord Jesus, now would you come and would you deal with our unbelief and would you fill us with faith? Would you cause us to see the more in you that we can do more in you? Cut away that veil. Cut it away as you did that salvation and let the Spirit of God enable us to behold and to see clearly who our God is. Because if we can see him, we can begin to reflect him. And if we can reflect him, then people can find him. And if people can find him, then nations can be transformed by him into his glorious image. But we've got to learn to behold the Lord Jesus. And I think that very often the reason that we don't see the release of spiritual power in our lives is because we tend to look towards our own wisdom. We're great problem solvers because we are made in his image. And so we are good at solving our own issues. We are good at scheming and planning. But he tells us not to look towards our own wisdom, but to acknowledge him in all of our ways. And then our, our wonky paths are going to become straight because we are beholding him. But so often we turn to our own wisdom. But imagine what would have happened if Joshua had been tired on circuit six of Jericho and he said, I think that's enough, lads. The walls would never have fallen. What if Noah had wakened up one morning and gone, mm, the weather seems fine to me. What would have happened? What would have happened if in the garden the Lord Jesus had said, no, I think I would prefer for the cup of suffering to pass me by. We would be dead men and women walking. But because of the obedience of those who have gone before us, we have come into the more and we see the more. I love the example of the story of Naaman. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. Naaman was a highly favored army general, a skillful general who was fighting for the army of Syria Israel's great arch enemy at the time. And the story of Naaman really begins with Naaman rejoicing and celebrating a great victory that the God of Israel has given to him because of the disobedience of his own people, because they weren't beholding him. But Naaman's problem was this, that skillful as he was, 
He was a leper. He had a problem. He was ill. And a little Israelite slave girl that had been taken into captivity and brought into the service of Naaman's wife said this one day to Naaman's wife. If your husband was with Elisha, Israel's prophet, he would surely be healed. When Naaman heard this, he went to the king of Israel to seek healing and to seek an audience with the king's prophet, Elisha. This is what we read in 2 Kings 5, 11 to 12 and verse 14. Elijah sent a message to say to Naaman, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. And Naaman went away angry. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot to cure me of my leprosy. Isn't that so often what we do with Jesus? Lord Jesus, here's my problem. And then we scheme and we plan and we say, the way that the Lord is going to solve it is he will do X, Y, and Z. It will all fall into place. And the Lord's like, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm higher. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. But I will show you how I am going to do it. But Naaman comes in that arrogance. The prophet should have laid his hands on me and I would have been made well. Are not the Abana and the Farper, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned off and he went in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash to be cleansed? So he went down And he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean and had the skin of that of a young boy. I wonder if there's a little bit of Naaman in you. I wonder if there's a little bit of Naaman in me. God told me to do it a certain way. But I don't want to do it his way. I want to do it my way. Because I have great understanding and great knowledge. I've been watching social media and seeing how to fix these things. And the Lord says, you're beholding the wrong things. But if you beheld my son, and if you would fix your eyes on him, there would be a positive exchange. And you would begin to see my ways unfolding in your lives. I just think it's amazing that sometimes the river of power, the river of God, opens in us through the smallest acts of obedience, doesn't it? You know, I spoke to a friend of mine recently on the island who has just joined our church, and he's been going through a a number of deliverance sessions, and it's incredible just to see the change in this man's character. But as he's becoming more and more free, the Lord is beginning to lead him more and more strongly. And he's really hearing the Lord very clearly. And he said to me recently, that one of the things that he really struggles with is to express worship physically. Like he he comes from more of a tradition where the hands are by the side and 
where he just sings la, 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 sings the, what, what I call it boring worship. He's like from the church of boring worship. And I'm sorry if you are, you need to wake up and start, start worshiping with all you are, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with your strength, with your body. But as he spoke to me, he said, the Lord called me to kneel down and I just couldn't do it. I said, but imagine who was cheated by you. He said, what do you mean? He said, imagine if the Lord was doing it for somebody else and not for you. Imagine if you had knelt down and somebody else was set free to worship. And it reminded me of that beautiful moment in Acts 16, 25 to 26, when we're told that about midnight, the apostles Paul and, and Silas were praying and they're singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I have got a theory about this. If you're in prison, do you think any of the people were unbelieving, naughty people that were there? It's pretty likely, isn't it? So I would say they're in prison. It's likely that these are offenders. These are, these are probably seasoned criminals that are with the apostles, but they're listening to them sing the hymns. And I want you to notice what happened. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. It's such a cool moment. And at once, all the prison doors flew open. And I want you to read this with me. What does it say? And everyone's chains came loose. Was it just the chains of the apostles? No, it was the hardened criminals that the praise of God's people even witnessed and set free the unbelieving. And I said to my friend, maybe the next time you kneel, somebody's going to have their chains thrown to the ground and be set free. I, I love it. The apostles simply did what the apostles should have done. They did what we should do, that, that they worshiped through hardship. They were obedient to the Lord. They did. Who sings hymns in prison? When your legs are splayed at the point of dislocation, you're in agony and you're in pain. If you come from the Isle of Man, you just moan about it. It's so sore. Where is Jesus? But the apostles are like, it is sore. But let's sing and let's worship. And in doing the right thing, everyone was set free. And as you know, the jailer was even saved. You see, sometimes I think that we're living under the imaginary lid. And the Lord is saying, you need to jump differently. You need to start jumping higher. You need to be trusting me for more. But it starts with little acts of obedience in your daily lives. And I wonder whose chains are going to fall to the ground this week in the conference. Because one of you is obedient to bring a word. Because one of you is obedient to bring a tongue for the Lord Jesus. Because one of you is going to dance on a stage. There will be people who are literally healed and set free because of a moment of obedience when you say, no, I'm all his. I behold him. I want to be like him and become like him. And so I give myself fully to him. Here's the second thing I want to say about the release of supernatural power, praying and fasting. Now, let me just say this. I hate it. Oh, I love food. I do. I lo Who loves food? Just raise your, some of you, I can, oh, you do, some of you don't need to raise your hands. I can tell you love food. I, I can see that. And I'm not going to name you, but I can tell because you're so muscular up top, but you've got one of those sunken chests. 
But I love food. I find fasting is a difficult thing to do. But I think that the reality is this, that every single one of us is dealing with some kind of human problem. Some of us probably have dying parents or dying relatives that we are wrestling with the pain of grief and what's to come. Some of us have friends who are really trapped in addictive cycles and We tried and tried for years to get them out, but they just seem to be so stuck. Some of us have friends who are just chronically sick and they never seem to get better. Some of us are facing financial difficulties in our businesses. Some of us are really struggling, struggling with emotional difficulties. Our world is in a state of decay. Morally, it's in a state of decay, but it's also physically in a state of decay. And there are so many things that I think we, we often try to deal with in a human way. And, and the reality is that the enemy loves that. In fact, we're told in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded even the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. At the start of this year, we had a huge elders meeting on the Isle of Man said, guys, we're just not seeing the breakthrough that we need to see. And it's not going to come just through us. And we really sensed that the Lord was saying to us, I will do it. I will bring the breakthrough. But you must do your part. And what we understood by that was that the Lord has been calling us into a season of prayer and fasting. And so we began to pray and fast Initially, we did a Daniel fast for 10 days. Lord Jesus, I love you. It was so hard. It was so, all the cakes I couldn't eat. And all the chocolate, Lord. Where are you, Jesus? I mean, it was tough. It was tough. But you know, things started to happen. And in the beginning of January, a young girl in our congregation who's been sick for six years came and said, I just feel like I need deliverance. And so in one week, we spent 40 hours with her, praying, eight, 10 hours a day. We prayed. We started to see things leave her. And on the seventh day, this girl was set free from chronic sickness. She went into her work the next week and said, I am healed. And they're going, what do you mean you're healed? She said, I have to tell you what's happened to me. But she was a girl who was set free from demonic oppression, and her body was healed in the process. And six months later, She is still walking in total freedom. But what happened after that was that one after another, the same thing started to happen. And we have probably delivered 70% of our church now. And people are walking in freedom. Karen and I, for three months solid, we're delivering people all day. Going, Lord, what is going on? This is crazy. We began to see really amazing things. But one day during a deliverance session, a very arrogant demon manifested and it began to threaten our family. And so I spoke to it and I said, can you tell me what is the condition of the kingdom of darkness on the Isle of Man? And it growled at me and it said, ruptured, badly damaged. And I said, but how did this happen? And it said, you know. Clearly, it thought I was cleverer than I actually am. And so I repeated the question very politely as a Scotsman. said, I'm, I'm so sorry, dear chap. Um, before we cast you out to the place that Jesus has appointed for you, when did it start? Do you know what it said? It started when the church began to pray and fast. 
Hmm. So as the church was praying and fasting, the strongholds of demonic oppression and darkness on the Isle of Man began to break down. And I think that so often as Christians in our contemporary world, we think, well, we don't need to pray and fast. That, that's for another time. But guys, I want to encourage you. The Lord does great things with obedient saints, and we are seeing the most amazing things. Jesus himself prepared himself for his public ministry by praying and fasting for 40 days and nights. And when he launched his ministry, as we all know, he said in Luke 4, 18 to 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blinds, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. And I believe that's the same mandate for us today, that this should be the year of the Lord's favor. We should see the oppressed set free. We should see the demonized released. We should see the captives restored. We should see the dead raised and the sick healed. That is the mandate, the unchanging mandate of Jesus Christ. But he came into his anointing when he prepared himself in prayer and fasting. He was able to fulfill his office as the Messiah. But I think the same call is upon us. When we fast, we're, we're choosing to put our bodies under submission to God. We're saying, God, I don't particularly like this, but I'm going to do it because I want to submit to you and yield to you. And as a result, his power begins to flow in us and his anointing begins to fill our lives. And listen, the anointing of God is not for thrills, The anointing of God is for battle. I think in our churches we become so well adjusted. Oh, I'm I'm preaching an anointed preach. No, you are doing war with the enemy. You're strengthening the saints. You're beginning to cause them to believe what Jesus wants to believe. That there is more for us. That there are nations to be one. That yes, we may be 300 people or 200 people here today. And how do we win the nation of South Africa? We do it with Jesus. We do it on our knees. We prepare ourselves and we say, Lord, we just want to do what the Father wants to do. And he says, well, ask me for the nations. And they will be your inheritance. Should we not be doing these things? Surely we can give up a little bit of food or a little bit of Facebook. Although I've never tried to eat Facebook and I think fasting is more food. But surely we can do it to see breakthrough in our nations. That is what we are called to do. You know, I think that we have become so well accustomed to praying protection over ourselves that The Lord is calling us to pray a different way. He's not simply calling us to be people who pray about our appetites so that they will be subdued so we can get to heaven. He's saying, no, I want you to learn how to bring heaven to earth. I want you to be a kingdom people that learn how to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And if we are obedient, if we become people of praying and fasting, we will see incredible breakthroughs in the ways of the Lord. But here's the final thing that I want to say about the release of supernatural power. The kingdom authority releases supernatural power. I read um, a story about a man called Joseph Stankak recently, an American man, And Joseph was commonly seen wheeling around with him an old 
rusted shopping trolley that was lightly furnished with tins of food. And his neighbors could see that very often he was just dressed in very ragged clothes with holes in them. He obviously didn't bathe himself often. They would see him occasionally cutting the grass around his house with a 50-year-old lawnmower. His house was in a great state of disrepair. There were tiles missing from the roof. The frame of the house was rotting away. He was the classic modern-day picture of poverty. But what was amazing was when he died in 2016, he was found by some firefighters in his bathtub at home. And as they began to research who this man was, they discovered that he had left the largest unclaimed inheritance in American history of 264 million rand. This was a rich man who was living like a pauper. We are rich Christians, filled with power, filled with authority, filled with influence, filled with Jesus, filled with the same spirit that raised the dead Christ back to life. And yet sometimes we're living like spiritual paupers. Lord, I don't know what to do. My business isn't working out. Jesus knows what to do. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is not lacking money. Lord Jesus, I have a sick friend. Pray for them. Trust him. Learn to see and expect the breakthrough that our God loves to bring. But I I think so often we fall for the discouragements of the enemy, that the church is becoming more and more irrelevant, that Christianity is in decline, that God never answers our prayer. Are we not part of the church that Jesus said would never be overcome even by the gates of hell? Is that not the church that we are called to be a part of? We've got to remember who we are. We're living under an imaginary lid. The sky's the limit with God. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength because we are a kingdom people. You know what? We determine the level of the lid. We determine it. We determine it in his name. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Guys, that should be what our churches look like. I remember one day reading something that had been written by Derek Prince, and he said, is your church comfortable for the demons? I was like, Lord, I stayed up all night praying about that, Lord. I do not want my church to be comfortable for the demons. The next day, a lady called Julie that used to be a psychic medium comes to the doors of the church and she couldn't even come in. She's screaming at the door. Our deacons had to grab her and say, you're coming in to meet Jesus today. And they brought her in and she was delivered and now she is a powerful prophet in the house of God. When we baptized her, she went under the water with black eyes. She came up and even her eye color had changed to bright blue. They're still blue today. And when they go dim, I say, Julie, are you in sin? Oh, a little bit. Well, come out because your eyes are going dim. Okay, and they brighten up again. We've got to be people who know that God wants to do what God wants to do. When we're facing sickness, demonization, anxiety, depression, marriage breakdowns, we need to know that our first response is the kingdom of heaven is here. 
And if the kingdom is here, then the king is here. And if the king is here, then everything can change in his mighty name. You know, Christians, we can no longer be people who say, Lord, I'm so alive in my body that I'm limited by what I can do. No, we say, I am no longer living. It is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. We are carriers of his power. We are the breakers of the imaginary lid. We are people that need to start living beyond the lid. It starts to jump Time to start jumping higher. I, I love what Jesus said about his cousin John the Baptist in Matthew eleven eleven. Truly, what does truly mean? Truly. They are so bright. What does truly mean? Truly. truly. We're getting there. I think they're up to about 12% now. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine if Jesus came and said, Hannes, there is no one and I believe it. There is no one greater than Hannes of those born amongst women. Imagine Jesus saying that. But you know what he goes on to say? What does he go on to say? But whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater even than John. John hadn't seen the resurrection. John hadn't seen the crucifixion. He was the greatest prophet in 400 years of silence. And yet the Lord says, even the least of us is greater because of the revelation and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that has come upon us in these days. We are significant. The Lord wants to use us in the new baptism of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be anointed to loose on the earth what is permitted in the heavenly realm. Guys, we are kingdom people. We are carriers of the Spirit. We are proclaimers of the gospel. We are miracle workers. We are healers to the blind. We are breakers of demonic bondage. We are raisers of the dead. We are nation changers. We are the church. That's who we are. And there is no lid for the church of Jesus Christ. And we've got to start living beyond it. And we've got to start saying now to him who is able to do abundantly, immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that's working within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. I wonder what needs to change in us today. What needs to change? Are we living under the lid? Are you expectant of what God could do this week? Imagine. Imagine this. Imagine at 4.12 that the Spirit of God comes in such power that a revival unlike any revival ever seen on the earth broke out from South Africa this week. Imagine that. That's the way we've got to think about our Jesus. Imagine in your pain and in your lowliness and in the troubles of your family where you have children who have gone away from the Lord and for years you've been praying for them. Lord, bring them back, bring them back. Today is the day we say the kingdom of heaven is here. The king of kings can restore my lost son or my lost daughter. I wonder if there are people here this morning who are in that position where their children have gone away from the Lord. Could you raise your hands if that's you this morning? Could you stand for me? 
If your children have gone away, why don't you just stand where you are? Stand for me. And I know that in you, there is a desperation to see them come back. But sometimes it feels like, but we've prayed, and we've prayed, and we've prayed, and it still hasn't happened, and my heart is aching, and I long to see my son or my daughter come back. But today, it's day to break off the imaginary lid. And it's time to say, Lord, we return our hearts to you and we trust you. The timing is not our timing. The solution is not our solution. We will no longer look to our own wisdom, but we're going to turn and behold Jesus and say, you love all men and you wish all to come to repentance and for none to perish. And so, Father, we pray over every brother and sister standing here this morning. And Father God, we want to give you thanks for every one of their children. We thank you, Lord, that you created them for a purpose. You created them for a mission. And Lord, we know that your heart is to save and to restore. And we pray that even in this moment this morning, that as we stand here today, whether we have made mistakes as parents, whether our children have just turned to their own ways, however it happened, we trust you, Jesus, with them. And we pray that right now, for every brother and sister, that your spirit would come upon them. And Lord, a hope that has grown dim and has even ebbed away in some of them would be restored right now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I pray for each of them that you would restore on them a mandate to pray without ceasing, that they would pray like the persistent widow of whom you said in Luke 18, 1, when you pray, do not lose heart. Father, we pray right now that your spirit would restore in them a heart of hope for their children and the mandate of intercession and the anointing to pray unswervingly would come upon each of them today. And Lord, even sooner than we expected, we will begin to see breakthroughs. And even in this house, Lord, we pray that prodigals would return, that lost sons would come back and be received into the house. Lord, we pray for them and we ask for your spirit to move in great power. Break off the lid, Lord. Break off the things that we have wrongly believed, Lord, and restore hope and courage in each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 I wonder if there are others here today who have sick family members, and you've been praying and praying, and it just feels like things are getting worse and worse and worse. You know, a number of years ago, I received that dreaded phone call from my brother in Scotland. Dad, uh, he phoned me and he said, Ewan, mom is really ill. She's got stage four ovarian cancer. She's going to die in two weeks. You need to come now. If you want to see her, come now. Has anyone had a phone call like that? It's the worst thing. Killed me. So we went and we anointed her with oil And we prayed in faith over her, and the Lord healed her. And she lived for another four years. Lived to see my brother get married at 50 years old. And then the Lord took her peacefully to be with him. The Lord healed a lady with terminal cancer in our church just last year. She had no time to live at all. And the Lord just, he can do it. He's able But sometimes we've got to listen. Sometimes when we see the sickness, we do what Naaman did. We say, well, the way it works is we put them into hospital. They 
get the medical attention, the chemo, and the chemo will work. And if the chemo doesn't work, it's game over. No, it's game starting. When the drugs fail and the medicine fails, it's over to Jesus. It's always in his hands. And I wonder if there are people here right now who have people that are really struggling in sickness. Could you stand so we can pray with you and stand with you? If you have family members or people that you are just really in pain over, and maybe just where you are, just gather around and raise a hand to them. Let's lay our hands on. And let's pray. Let's pray that the king of the kingdom of heaven would come now and minister. Father God, we want to pray for every person who is wrestling with the grief of sickness. Lord, if these sicknesses are chronic sicknesses, we want to stand against them in Jesus' name. And Father, even now we speak to sickness in Jesus' name, and we put that sickness under the authority of the kingdom of God. And Lord, we ask that you would minister in great power in these brothers, sisters, children, daughters, sons, Lord, grandparents, mums, dads, Lord, whatever the relationship is, friends, we pray, Lord, that where hope has been lost and where the desire to pray has been filled with despondency, Lord, we pray against it in Jesus' name, and we say, let faith come now in Jesus' name. Let faith arise in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord, build faith again, faith to pray and intercess. And Father, we want to pray for every sick person today that in Jesus' mighty name, you would minister to them even now, that Lord, your Spirit would be moving upon family members and on sick people around this congregation, and you would move in great power. The King kingdom is here. Heal the sick. And so, Lord, we call upon the mighty name of Jesus to come and to heal what man cannot fix. That, Lord, where sickness has even changed the personality through, uh, I just felt the Lord even saying around illnesses um, such as Parkinson's disease. The Lord wants to minister there. Dementia, The Lord wants to minister to the lost mind. And Father, we pray that you would recover lost minds and you would sharpen lost minds in Jesus' mighty name. That you would do what man cannot do. What is impossible for man is surely possible for God himself. And so we come in his name and we pray, Lord, that you would start to minister in new power. And Lord, in the waiting season... I pray that you would strengthen their muscles of faith. I pray that you would strengthen their muscles of prayer. And Lord, where faithlessness has crept in, and even where we have partnered with the enemy in saying nothing can be done, we break that lie today in Jesus' mighty name, and we come against it in his name, and we say, enemy lie, fall to the ground now in Jesus' mighty name. Minds be set free in Jesus' mighty name. All things are possible for the one who died upon the cross and was raised from death to life. All things are possible for him, and to him we turn. And we ask, Lord, that you would minister in great power and we would hear even good reports this week. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen. I wonder if we can do one final thing. At the beginning of this word, I described that picture of the fleas in the jar. And we talked about how we've been warned by Paul not to become so well adjusted to our culture that we fit into it without even thinking anymore. Guys, we are bombarded daily 
with anti-Christ messages. We are bombarded with anti-biblical doctrines and theologies. There are things that the Lord needs us to stand up against in these last days. And I just wonder if there are some here this morning that have even felt the Lord just put his finger onto an area of your life where you're saying, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help me where I am lacking that belief to see the more of you, to see the possibilities that when we say those words that we fix our eyes on the one who is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine, I wonder if there is a faith deficit this morning that the Lord wants to address in you. And guys, I I just ask that you would just be humble. There are moments in my own life where I, I really lack faith. There are moments where unbelief gets the better of me and I forget who my God is, even in things that he's done for me before. When there's financial lack that he's, he's fixed a thousand times before and I still find myself in that place of going, but Lord, would you do it this time? Can you do it? If you are able. And I wonder if there are people this morning who maybe the Lord has said, I just want to deposit a greater degree of faith in you. I want to cause you to believe for the more. If that's you, would you just stand with me? And we want to pray over you guys as well. Because we want to be nation changers. We want to see the Lord move in great power. And so, Father, right now, in every man, every woman, every youth in this place, Lord, we break off the imaginary lid. We break off the lid of human expectation and human thinking. We throw it to the ground and we trample on it in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, we say in this house this morning, let faith arise. Let faith arise. Let confidence in the Lord Jesus rise up in the house this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with a greater degree of belief this morning. And Father, we say that where the enemy has been deceiving, we break his power in Jesus' name. And we say to every demonic voice, that has tried to turn down the courage and the belief in every believer, we say to you, be silent in Jesus' name and let the faith of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God and His presence rise up in the house this morning because we are a nation-changing people. We are a situation-changing people. We are a people of faith. We are a kingdom people. And we ask for the presence of your Spirit and the power of God and the anointing of Him to rest upon us this morning. For the great glory of Jesus, teach us to behold Him. Teach us to see Him. Set us free, we say, in Jesus' mighty name. Come, Lord, come, Lord, and set us free in the house this morning. We come against you in Jesus' name. Come now. Come now, we say, Lord Jesus and set us free in the house. We thank you, Lord God, that your power is present. We thank you, Lord God, for the power to heal. We thank you, Lord God, for the power to deliver. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence here this morning. And so, Father, we commit our time to you. We honor you. We ask your Spirit to move. We ask your Spirit to fill us. We ask your Spirit to come and to change us and to restore our faith and our trust in you. 
And Father, we ask for a season of breakthrough in the kingdom, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Now just look to the Lord. Mm. Come, God. Yes, God. Mm. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. Yes, God. I just had a picture during worship, and I wasn't sure how it was going to fit in. And it was about a baby being born. And I thought the Lord wanted to bring about a birth in this congregation, something new. But the important thing, as women know, is once a baby is born, it needs to attach itself to its mother and to drink milk. And unless you go from here and spend time with the Lord and attach yourself to the Lord, you're going to lose a lot. And you're not going to break through into what God has for you. Let this not just be another hype, but let it be a place where we truly move into the Lord and see the breakthrough. It's not just for us. It's for more than that. Yeah. Thank you, God. Yeah. Just a phrase that I, that I keep hearing is, uh, is uh, Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and, uh, and so even as there's deliverance and healing and signs and wonders happening, it's Jesus, okay? This is good. These things must go. And, uh, and I, I've been feeling for a long time, uh, I've, I've prayed this prayer, Jesus, I pray that demons won't be comfortable among us. Um, and um, they, they are here. I just want to say, okay? They, they just hide well sometimes. Um, get it right to, to, to masquerade and, and to, we think it's, something this or something that. Let's pray. Um, Lord, I just want to pray that may we enter a season where the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, um, and even as there's something that started with us recently, just where there's deliverance and, and the mnemonic coming out and oppression and anxiety and, and all those things got torment that, you, that you're removing. We just pray, God, we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Uh, we want it, God. We, we don't want to say, we don't want to be like those Pharisees that waited to accuse and say, no, this can't be it. We want to say, yes, God, do it in us, Lord. I pray that the kingdom of heaven may come into us, God, and, uh, and that the church can really be a reflection like it should be. I pray, God, I actually want to ask you guys, don't wait till we call a fast for the church together. But actually some of you this week in bold up to the conference need to fast a day or two or whatever. Just cry out to the Lord, man. Just be hungry for the Lord. Just starve your flesh so that your spirit can learn to cry out. 
and there's going to come seasons where we as a church are going to fast together, and we're going to cry out to the Lord. But in some of you, there needs to come a desperation for God. And I want to say, jump in the boat this week. I think that what Saul said now, jump in, reach to the Lord, spend time with the Lord, and make sure that today is not just another while. That was a great one. But cry out to the Lord. And I'm convinced that God is going to meet with us this week. He's going to meet with us. And, and He wants to meet with faith. He wants to, he wants to um, I think, reach to faith this week. Reach to God. Mm. I want to ask you guys as well. There's a, there's a bunch of us this week that are going to get together as, as 412 leaders um, for full days um, starting this afternoon till Wednesday. Pray for us, man. Um, that, that we can that we can hear the Lord. Wow, it's your lives <laughs> that, is, that is included in that. Pray for us that we can hear the Lord, that He will shape us, move us. Um, yeah, as God would speak to us. And um, I think I'm gonna.